Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. In all honesty, I don't know how you miss a vote. I don't know how it gets done. I don't know how. On the debt ceiling vote, the conversation of conversations in America where members of Congress, both the House and the Senate, are setting down their marker. This is who I am. This is what I believe. And this is how I'm representing my constituents. And you miss the vote. I'm telling you, you could have knocked me over with a feather when I found out that Congressman Jim Banks missed the vote. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Came on the show yesterday. He was a definitive no. Next thing you know, he didn't vote. He didn't vote. At 5.30 in the morning, I'm texting his team. Can someone explain this to me? And I'm doing it without anger, of course, because maybe something happened. Maybe something happened that I don't know about, you don't know about, we don't know about. Uh, Something serious, there could have been an issue. People want to jump to the yelling and the screaming. I jump to the, hey, give me the data of what the heck's going on here. And I got this statement from uh, his, his team, quote, the vote closed as the congressman was walking onto the floor. He registered his no vote with the House clerk. Congressman Banks made clear he was opposed to raising the debt limit and will continue to fight for fiscal conservatism. Understand that registering your vote with the clerk is not the same as voting. He missed the vote. And people are like, dude, you had one job. And so we understand each other. I happen to like Congressman Banks. He is running for Senate. He's really running unopposed. I think there's somebody out of Indianapolis running uh, against him. Maybe now more people are going to get into the field. I just don't see it. And I consider him mostly solid on the vast majority of issues that I consider important. Missing the vote. I I would tell this to his team. I would tell this to him directly. And I I, I guess I am via the show. Uh, Missing the vote's a bad look. And you're going to take the hits. You have one job, show up for the vote. You didn't show up for the vote. No, everything else is just whatever it is. Unless there was some kind of family emergency to which people might still very well have an issue, you're just going to take the hits. You miss the vote. And when you talk about, as any candidate would, you know, I'm going to represent the people and I'm going to be a strong vote for this and a strong vote for that, and you're not there for the vote, it's an issue. It's going to come back to haunt you. What I found weird, because I guess I don't know how many people miss votes on a regular basis. You know who else missed the vote on the debt ceiling? Lauren Boebert. Representative Boebert of Colorado. Very vocal, very outspoken, very popular, very short. Uh, she, she's a very, very, very petite woman. Uh, I've, I've, I've interviewed her. Very petite woman. Uh, missed the vote. How? How in the, she's there at the press conference the other day with Chip Roy and Ralph Norman, uh, members of Congress, Texas, Norman's from Virginia. Is that where Ralph Norman's from? Oh my gosh. They're hitting this thing so strong. It doesn't do this. It doesn't do that. Uh, this is the, this is garbage. This is ridiculous. She missed the vote. How does this happen? According to, um, 
a reporter for Axios, Boebert, quote, narrowly missed the vote after, quote, running up the steps right as they gaveled. Now, there is going to be, I guarantee you, some conversation that you take people who are going to be no votes, you now have two of them that I know of who are going to be no votes on the legislation, and they both missed the vote. Were they told that the time frame was X and the time frame was actually Y? Like, are, are, is, is, is that going to be it? I don't, I don't know. We were told we had X number of minutes, we only had Y number of minutes, and uh, we were lied to by Kevin McCarthy. Maybe, but honestly, that's excuses, and excuses don't fly. Excuses don't fly, not at all. Not in the slightest. And it's going to bother people, and you're going to take the hits. It's important for us to know and to note that while we may, in the, in the vast majority of us, have political leanings and political desires, ideologies, theories, philosophies, we never lose sight of the actual politics. It's why when I was discussing Trump yesterday and what I consider to be this pathetic tweet about Kelly McEnany, I'm calling her milk toast. This was ridiculous. Oh, and people... People came at me yesterday. You're not loyal to Trump. First things first, damn straight I'm not. I'm loyal to the country, and if he wants my vote, he has to do what I want. He works for me. I don't work for him, and I don't understand these idolaters. Trump works for me, and if he can't do the job, I'll get somebody who will, and I don't give a good holy damn if he cries. He works for me. I owe him nothing. Don't you get that? Don't you understand the power of the citizen? My goodness gracious. And and my statement was very clear that you can't gather votes. You cannot garner votes, earn votes when you're out there going on the attack, calling people milk toast when they're not. Oh, she read some polling data wrong. So therefore she's, she's, uh, she's worthless. Dude, it's ridiculous. It turns people off, and you want to get votes. You don't want to lose votes. So don't engage unforced errors. It is the unforced error conversation that is the conversation about politics, not what we may prefer, not what we may think is right or smart, and how we try and convince people. When you punch yourself in the face and you don't get somebody's vote because you punch yourself in the face when you clearly didn't have to punch yourself in the face... Well, that's a bad idea to punch yourself in the face. That's what missing a vote is. That's what it is. That's what Trump's comments are. That's what happened. That's the politics. We sometimes think that the ideology has to get in the way of the recognition, and it shouldn't. What we need to be doing is be focused on the right subject. So, is missing the vote a big deal? Yes, it absolutely is. Now we've discussed it. Now, can we discuss Joe Biden's policies? Can we discuss the increase in gas prices? Can we discuss the continued high inflation? Can we discuss the rising Chinese threat? Can we discuss having no security at the border? Can we discuss, can we discuss, can we discuss? Biden is the focus. Beating Biden in terms of the presidential election is the goal. 
not beating up each other. The recognition of politics and how things are going to play out is different than taking your eye off the goal. Taking your eye off the goal would be to say everything that Trump does needs to be scrutinized and I just don't buy into that game. Oh, Trump's hitting DeSantis, DeSantis hitting Trump, and this guy's hitting this one and that one. Can we talk about the Biden policies that make it more difficult for you to buy a car? More difficult for you to buy a house? More difficult for you to buy bread? Can we discuss the things that really matter because that's the way you get a different president. That's the way you win back the Senate. That's the way you build your majority in the House and you build policies that bring results. Hard to bring the results when you don't show up for the vote. And that's how it connects. And that has to be the focus. But it is, it, 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 would, it would be to the fool's mind that somehow we have to not note the politics of the thing. And I won't not note the politics of the thing. I wouldn't do that to you, and I don't think you should do that to yourself. Others will try that. Don't. There is an effect. It's going to hurt Boebert and Banks for a while. It's not going to end their careers. Is Banks still the frontrunner in the state of Indiana for the United States Senate? Absolutely. It's not even close. Is he going to lose uh, levels of donors because of it? No. Someone's going to call him up and be like, what the hell, man? That's going to go down. And constituents are going to be, who who are saying, I mean, you can see him on Twitter and other places. Dude, you had one job. You had one job. One. Going to take the hit. Lauren Boebert, you could speak out about this, that, and the other. You're so on the offensive. You're so on the attack. And when it comes down to it, you're not there. Yeah. Yeah, she's going to take that hit. But isn't she a solid position and a solid vote repeatedly, aside from this one-off, on making sure that Biden policies and progressive policies aren't the law of the land, aren't the way we go? And most people would argue, yes, absolutely. Maybe they wish she did it this way, wish she did it that way. That's all inconsequential stuff. I wish Marjorie Taylor Greene did a bunch of things in a bunch of different ways, but she's still a vote in, in the way I want to go. I've been saying this for forever. A Jewish space lasers notwithstanding, when she votes, she votes usually the way I want it done. Katie Porter never votes the way I want it done. And being a voice against Katie Porter, being a voice against Dick Durbin in the Senate, being a voice against Schiff and Swalwell, being a voice against Biden, being a voice against NBC and ABC and CBS and MSNBC and CNN, that all matters. And that's how you get to convincing more people. That's how you win elections. And that's how you build better policies. So the politics do matter and they do have an effect. But you have to be thinking in the long-term goal. The people who are going to focus solely on this are missing the forest for the trees. This happened. you got to recognize it. And then remember that your goal is Biden policies that are failing the country. I know that no one's talking about the border right now. It's not good. Biden's policies failing the country. I know people aren't talking about gas prices, and the White House wanted to crow about how gas prices went down last week. They went up for a few months. No one talked about it. You can't get a used car because we don't have new cars because of the chip shortages. You increase the interest rates, the used cars, which now, by the way, have an issue because there weren't enough new cars sold to bring us more used cars. Picture it. New new cars become used cars. 
And people traded the used car, get a new car, but there were no new cars, so they kept their used cars. And then they bought used cars because their car was no good. And now, with interest rates so high, they're not trading in their used car for a newer used car. They're fixing their car because the interest rates are too high to buy the newer used car. Thus, there's no demand and prices come down. Even though the interest rates are still so high, it's still preventing people from buying the cars. That's Biden. And they want to do more spending. That's the focus. There's the politics. And then there's the focus. Just want to make sure we're all on the same page, people. I'm a big believer in the same page. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. This is Tony Katz Today. We said it then. We said it now. We were right. Black Lives Matter, the organization, is a grift. Black Lives Matter, the organization was always a grift, and Patrice Cullors is a grifter. Now, I could say, allegedly, I don't know, is that the thing that that keeps you from getting sued? I I have no clue. But I don't know how we're not all in total agreement on this. Total agreement that when Black Lives Matter takes in nearly $100 million after the death of George Floyd, um, and they've only given away 33% of it, that's a grift. They kept $60, 70000000 million. I said $100 million. I think it's, it's $90 million. Let's be fully accurate here. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. They paid a board member in a consulting firm $2.1 million. They paid uh, to the brother of Patrice Cullors, who runs the organization. They paid to his security company $1.6 million. Uh, a company run by the father of one of her children, 969000 To a former board member that's in connection with a contract dispute, 600000 So that's a, that's a payoff right there. $33 million is what went to charitable foundations. They had $22 million in expenses. 22, 22%. Well, actually, it's, it's more because it's only 90 million on 100. Good Lord. That's a mismanagement. But you knew it was going to be exactly this. You knew it was going to be mismanagement. You knew, like I knew, that they were stealing the money, that it was a grift. Uh, I, I, I'm saying stealing the money. Maybe uh, there is a lawyer out there uh, who would say, hey, there's a better way to, to engage that terminology, and I would defer to them. But I will not stop saying it was a grift. And everybody in the state of Indiana, everybody across the country who donated to it knew it. What they were doing was buying their freedom. Here, I wrote a check to Black Lives Matter. I'm not a racist. That's what they did. Here's your check, Black Lives Matter. Please don't hurt me. Here you go. Here's your money, Black Lives Matter. Now tell everybody I'm a good boy. That's what they did. Everybody knows it. That what they did wasn't about what was right, what was smart, or what was best. What they did was, let's make the calculation. We could either be called racists and deal with that, or we can write a check and not be called racist and move on with our day. We'll just write a check. They all made the same calculation. How about the fact that Patrice Cullors, who leads Black Lives Matter, who bought all the houses who didn't give the money to actually help anybody. 
she had a production deal with Warner Brothers Television. Why in the world would Warner Brothers Television give her a production deal? She was going to make dramas and comedies, a documentary series, animated programming for children. What experience does she have? What mind did she have to it? Well, the answer is, please don't call us racists. Here's a check. Go create something. We know you're super smart. Not super smart, obviously. She created a grand total of zero things. Well, of course she created a grand total of zero things. She has no ability to do this. Now, she could have surprised us and done it, but she wasn't getting paid to do it. She was getting paid to leave them alone. She was getting paid to look the other way, paid to give them a wink, paid to give them a pat on the head. They didn't want to be called racist. They wrote a check. It's the ugliest stuff in the world. But the people who didn't write a check, oh, well, you're not going to stand up and support us. Hmm, you must have some racist tendencies. I know of a business in Indianapolis that is no longer in business. They were vilified for not putting something on their door. We support this and we support that. And their answer was, we're a donut shop. We want to sell donuts. We're not putting anything on our door. And they got vilified and called racist and attacked because they didn't, it's not that they did anything wrong, it's that they wouldn't do what the Black Lives Matter grift demanded they do. They demanded, they compelled speech. And these people said, we're not going to get compelled to that, so they got called racist. You understand how ugly these Marxists are? You understand how despicable uh, the, the, the constructs around this organization are? You understand how evil uh, DEI and this stuff is and what it breeds, the levels of contempt, the levels of hate. And yes, indeed, this idea that you can force people through fear and intimidation into speech. It's that ugly. The question before us now is what happens next? Do people learn their lesson? And the answer is, oh, hell no. The next group will come along, the next thing will come along, the next moment that gets exploited will come along, and you will see people write check to a different group and a different organization and a different person, all to prove that they're really caring people. Why else would you have a brand relationship with Dylan Mulvaney? Who is a man, by the way. You understand that that's a scam. He knows it. He is scamming everybody. He's making money hand over fist. Oh, when he writes the book. Oh, and he writes the book. It's going to be so good. I might buy it because he is so committed to the thing and has gotten so many people to buy in. I might, I might very well have to respect it. I am, it, By the way, it's disgusting what he's doing. He's doing woman face. He is doing the equivalent to blackface in 2023. That's what he's doing. It's disgusting. And why women are okay with it is beyond me. But you got to love the commitment to the thing, man. His commitment to the grift. Bravo. Bravo. What are you talking about, people? But now, it's good to see that more and more people are seeing what Black Lives Matter always was. It's not about your neighbor. It's not about your friend. It's not about actually caring about people. It was a grift to take your money and you think that a check can assuage your guilt. And that's what these companies thought, and that's what they still think. It's not how it works. If you feel guilty, I, I don't know why, uh, but that's for something to you to, for you to figure out. A check will never make it better. And the people who will take a check to make you feel less guilty, those are the grifters, in case you didn't know.
I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. This debt limit deal has taken the turns that we thought that it would take. The House passed at 314 to 117. Of course, there were people voting no on both sides of the aisle. But in the end, Kevin McCarthy wasn't going to come forward with a piece of legislation that he didn't feel he had the majority of the majority to get the votes for, which means you take the Republican Party. Do you have a majority of those Republicans voting for it? He felt he did. He did, and for that reason, he's going to be safe as Speaker of the House. Guys, welcome to the show. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. The question now is, going over to the Senate, is the Senate down for this legislation? Are they down for this the way that it is? Senator Mike Braun joins us right now. Senator from Indiana, my senator, and a candidate for governor in the state of Indiana. Um Taking a, a first, let's start with maybe an overview look of this legislation. We have a debt limit increase until 2025. We did it based on time and not dollars. Uh, we see an increase in defense spending of 3%. We see a cap on spending in 2024 staying flat, 1% up in 2025, among some other regulatory issues, things like that. You like this, or if, if when it comes to uh, the Senate as is, you a yes vote or you a no vote? I'm definitely going to be a no vote. Uh, when it comes to almost all the budget stuff, I go back to process. How did we get into this pickle in the first place? And Tony, when you look at where we're currently at, this is now baselined the federal government at over 25% of our GDP. It was bad enough when I got here. We were 18 trillion in debt. Now we're 31 trillion. But other than through wartime, our GDP has never been baselined above 20% uh, government spending of GDP. So how that happens and why we don't complain more about it, that's the real Democrat victory in this. It is what it is. Uh, they enterprised for two years and put a lot in uh, our baseline above and beyond what some of the COVID stuff did that is got forward momentum but it is a terrible business plan in the sense that we're now borrowing close to $2 trillion a year, double what it was just four and a half years ago. And the only blueprint out there was done by Joe Biden that puts us an additional $20 trillion in debt in 10 years. And the net effect of what we're voting on knocks that back from 20 to $18 trillion. That is a lot. The interest alone when you reprice it with interest rates going up will be the incremental thing each year that the numbers never lose. They and, always and win. So, so this plays into this, this where, where I saw the issue. It's one thing to say that we're going to revisit the debt limit in two years. It's another thing to say, we're not even going to put a number on it. And the argument in favor of that is, well, Republicans control Congress. They can decide the spending and they can keep that spending down. The argument against is who in the world has ever been able to keep spending down in, in the House of Representatives or in uh, Washington, D.C. in general? This is an open-ended uh, check, blank check, that the president could basically write for whatever he wants. There's no doubt about it. And uh, legislation 
is generally going to have to drive any new structural spending. I think we did put a tourniquet on that when the House got elected. But your point, how did we get here? In running a business like I did for 37 years, if you do things right in the present, in the short run, thinking about the mid and long term, things just work. Uh, In the real world, if you were borrowing 30 cents now on every dollar of revenue, meaning you're financing losses from a bank, they would laugh you out of the office the first year that occurred. State governments, local governments all have constraints where they have to live within their revenue stream. Here's where it started. When George W. Bush got elected in 2000 for the over 200 years, we had accumulated uh, roughly $5 trillion in debt. That was the year 2000. He put two wars on the credit card, uh, did some tax cuts. They generally lower revenues the first year or two out of the gate. Through economic growth, you get more. They generally pay for themselves. Dems never want to acknowledge that. So there we went up to $10 trillion in debt. Obama said, you do it. We're going to double down on it another $6 trillion. It took us to 16 Then we were running trillion-dollar annual deficits. That's what got us to $18 trillion in debt, two years under Trump, when I got here. Then you had COVID come along. That was an excuse to enterprise, like Rahm Emanuel says, never waste a crisis. The rest you know. Now we're $31 trillion in debt, both sides of the aisle. And let me tell you how it works. The Democrats are unapologetic about it, and they're honest. This is their growth business and kind of their goal, all wrapped into one. Republicans who say they are fiscal conservatives lose it when it comes to the neocons, the most extreme of the defense hawks. I think defense is the most important thing we do, but they ought to do budgets, ought to do audits. They generally then make the deal with the Democrats, and that's been the dynamic of what we've been playing with before I got here, and it's even worse now. So now let's take a look at what's about uh, to happen. You're going to get this this legislation, and you are a no vote, as, as you've just said, talking to Senator Mike Braun, senator from Indiana, candidate for governor in the state of Indiana. Uh, but you have amendments. Now, a lot of people were, talking, were hearing about with amendments. Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky, Senator Mike Lee uh, of Utah. Are you going to get a chance to bring your amendments to the floor? And which ones of them, I don't know how many you have, which ones of them would be necessary to turn you from a no to a yes? So the early bird gets the worm on amendments, and Rand and Lee uh, are generally going to be there with something. I come in uh, with fewer and ones that I think are going to have more meat to them. So uh, as of right now, unless something would fall apart, uh, I'm going to get an amendment. It's going to be very simple. Next time we arrive at a debt ceiling issue, you automatically lift the debt ceiling to get rid of all the drama. But here's what's going to be different. If you don't get something done in terms of a spending bill, You have a 1% cut after 30 days across the board, defense and domestic. So you can't, you're holding both sides accountable. If you go another 30 days, it's an additional 1%. And those will be rescissions, not ones that you can get back on. You couldn't do that until later. That will be real teeth, real repercussions. 
and I think it's going to get a bunch of votes. There won't be a Democrat that will vote for it other than one or two, and I'll lose most of the neocon defense hawks. So you mean Lindsey Graham. Is that a fancy way of saying Lindsey Graham? I will. (laughs) Now, now, yeah. wait a second. Let me let me be somebody who pushes back for a moment because it was Congressman Thomas Massey who brought this point up. Of course, from from Kentucky, that this legislation right now states that if the twelve appropriations bills are not passed, we see a one percent cut across the board. This is uh, the penny plan at play. That's kind of what you're discussing right now. Although you've put it at thirty days, and then another one percent after ninety days. Defense spending being part of a conversation to me is always frightening because you take the China threat, you take the cybersecurity threat, you take the fact that we don't have enough of a Navy right now, enough ships at at sea to count. This is the place that you can't cut. But you're saying I'm throwing the baby and the bathwater and the bath and uh, the baby's mother right out the window with all of it. If these people can't be grown ups, you're willing to cut even defense. And Here's the other thing about the bill. The fiscal year is October 1st through September 30th. So uh, that provision in there kicks in after the fiscal year is over. And then you've got three months to get it back in order to where they wouldn't be real rescission. So this is something that's got plenty of forewarning. It is going to be done within the fiscal year, ideally, not after it's over, because once you do this, you got to remember, we don't do any budgeting zero anymore, and appropriations never get done on time. And this is to keep the time factor in play. And if you hit the debt limit issue, it starts immediately. And if you don't get your job done, spending is going to go down. Sad thing is, Tony, this is not going to pass. Schumer probably wouldn't have let it be an amendment, uh, even though I think it's going to have a 50-volt threshold because it is germane. Uh, That's the sad thing about this place, too. You're generally messaging. And until the neocons, the real defense hawks, say they're fiscal conservatives, more worried about the red ink than the red menace, I'm worried about both. The red ink will get us in the long run. The red menace, we have to deal with every year. And Mike, Admiral Mike Mullen, Dwight D. Eisenhower, said worry about the military-industrial complex. They knew you waste a lot of money in it. They were in the business. And, man, has that become uh, a reality over time. Uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower did indeed uh, say that as he left office, but bewaring the military industrial complex involves to me a conversation about the paid for redundancies and waste, not necessarily uh, cuts to the thing as China is, is in these throes of trying to make, hey, something that we have to deal with along with the southern border, along with cyber attacks. Talking to Senator Mike Braun uh, of Indiana, you just said these amendments are going to come up, but they're not going to pass. Is this debt limit as it is sent forth from the House of Representatives just voted on 314 to 117, sir? Is this vote going to pass the Senate? And does this vote have to go through cloture, the 60 vote threshold, or is this a simple 51 majority? So that'll be that'll be determined by Schumer and McConnell. And uh, when it, it, it's definitely going to pass. So whether it's a 50 or 60 vote threshold, it's going to go through. They don't tee anything up like this 
unless it's going to go through, the vote margin in the House is going to be probably not uh, that lopsided in the Senate. Generally, we're going to get 15 to 20 Republicans, uh, seven to eight of us that are always on the fiscal issues, another that want their uh, 13 to 14, maybe more, that want the vote record to reflect, even though they may be not as fiscally conservative when it comes to their own legislation. In other words, I'm never going to put a bill out there unless you raise a fee or, uh, which is politically impossible to do, or offset it with stuff that's already been appropriated. That is a real pay for, not a fake. So yes, it's going to go through. Um, we are getting the amendments. That is the bargain. So we don't delay this through the weekend. Basically, that's the trade-off. So you think this passes quickly before the weekend this will pass this will be done the amendments won't go anywhere and there's not a republican who can really hold this up even though you're going to try your best any well i'm not trying to hold it up i don't believe in that uh those histrionics i just if you're going to give us an amendment fine and the ones that normally may do that have agreed as well because they always lose and they spent three more days in dc as a result of it and the leaders always get their way and the outcome. My question is, when is this going to be enough? En- uh, enough is enough to the American public. Medicare trust fund goes broke in four years. Social Security fund in nine years. We've known both actuarially for over a decade. Um, the each year when you price the four and a half to five percent increase in interest rates. On to 31 trillion. Ask a bunch of reporters what's 1% of 30 trillion three months ago. Nobody could get it after 30 seconds. First stab was 300 million. They were off by a power of a thousand. That's how abstract it is, but that will be the incremental pain over time that'll wake up this place, hopefully, the American public. Senator Mike Braun from the state of Indiana, candidate for governor, uh, U.S. Senator. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Yeah, and and I don't think that you go right for a boycott. You're aware of, of what they've done, but you don't know what it's actually going to mean. You don't know how it's going to be put into effect. You don't know if it changes, and you don't know if Chick-fil-A is going to make the mistake that Bud Light really made, which is completely insult its customer base. Remember what Bud Light did here. They injected politics into a subject, beer, that nobody wanted politics into. They just wanted a beer. They did this directly to the audience, to the consumer, and they did it proudly. That was the issue at play. I'm not so sure that, well, I don't agree with the hiring. I don't agree with with DEI as we've seen it play out across the country. Uh, But I don't know if the hiring at first means the bad thing. You got to see what happens from it. So I think you're okay tonight with getting yourself uh, a couple of nuggets. (laughs) That's my take, and I'm sticking to it. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, what's going on? I was on Newsmax yesterday, this whole conversation about Chick-fil-A hiring a a DEI officer. I'm not going to freak out about it. I think they're wrong, and as we've discussed, there are plenty of places, uh, medical schools and others, realizing this is all just not only a gargantuan waste of time, this is all really hateful stuff. We shouldn't be anywhere around this kind of hateful stuff. This is terrible. This is awful for us. This is awful for society. Never mind our business. Never mind our university. Whatever the case may be. But this is Chick-fil-A. And people forget 
that this is the company a few years back where the CEO wanted to tell people they should shine the shoes of black people. He actually did that on stage. People forget that, that that happened. I'm sorry I didn't remember it at the time. I was like, oh, oh, I missed. Yeah, it, it, the worst part of doing uh, cable news and, and doing the hits and when you're a pundit is that you're trying to get a lot in into a very little bit of time, which stinks, which is why I love radio, and then you forget something as germane as that. You're like, son of a... And you, you just lose your head because it's, it's, it is. It's super-duper annoying. But this is Chick-fil-A. No one should be surprised or shocked by this. And I, for one, am neither surprised nor shocked by this. Uh, Eat your chicken, guys. Eat your chicken. Don't get crazy. That's it. that's, That's all there is. Just go eat their chicken. Eat your chicken. You're the one who bought it. Until they do something to say to their customers, to the people who have been loyal to them, hey, kiss off, you're the wrong kind of customer, which is exactly what they did to the Bud Light customer. Until that happens, you've got nothing to do. You've got nothing to worry about. Oh, being aware, I'm with you there. I'm totally with you. I'm being aware of what somebody's doing. Now, if they're not bothering you, just go about, just go about eating chicken. Uh, I hear I hear the, the the breakfast chicken sandwich thing is delicious. I have actually never had one. I'm working in the morning. I do a morning show as well. So no one brings them to me. I don't go out to get them, but I hear they're good. But just, you know, not everything needs to be a boycott right off the bat. See what happens. Then go from there. That's that's my argument. That's the one I'm sticking with. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. T-O-N-Y-K-A-T-Z. TonyKatz.com. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.